Thank you, Dylan. Morning, everybody. Welcome to the kingdom. I just got such a sense this morning as we were worshiping that, you know, sometimes we forget that we're in a kingdom. You know, and as we were singing that song, men, ladies, it got, took me back to the 80s. You, you said those medleys we had, like all the ladies, all the men, you know. Um, but uh, just got a sense of like we're in a kingdom. We belong to a kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Um, and everything hangs in tension in, in that kingdom of heaven. We, we have a place to be and we live in this. Um, and this morning, I, I actually want to talk about how your, how your finances fit into the kingdom of heaven and, and how do you bring your finances into the purposes of God. Thanks very much. Um, and uh, January is a great time to talk about money because we don't have any of it. And you've got a couple of lessons that you'll never do again until next year, January. Um, but t- today I'd like to talk to you not only just about like how does your money function and work and, and I'm going to go quite basic because I think we've got all levels of people at different journeys of money, but also um, money is a system and we can have an, a healthy and unhealthy relationship with that system. And I think if you're in an unhealthy place in that system, you're going to behave differently and you're going, it's going to play itself out in different ways in how you, how you work with your money. So um, it always baffles me in that, you know, we can study God's word and we'll debate to the nth degree whether Jesus had five toes or six toes, you know, like, and we will go into that level of detail. He had five, if, if you guys are worried. But we won't educate ourselves about money, uh, you know what I mean, which is something which is, it actually rules people's lives and, you know, if you just take one step out the door and look what the world does with success and fame and money, it's such a counterculture to Christians, but we, we don't educate ourselves how to do that well. Um, so sometimes people come along and they have a skill. Um, I think we've done okay, um, myself and Cindy, in terms of the way we've managed our money over time. So today we want to share kind of like our journey. I'm going to call Cindy up now just to, no, I'm not joking. <laughs> um, but like, you know, there's principles that we've embedded in our life. And I, I spent some time preparing like what I think these principles are. And uh, I want to, in some way, give you a bit of a master class in what we've learned. So master may be doubtful, but definitely a class. So let's just go right back to the beginning. What is money? Okay. Um, X amount of years ago, there wasn't money. And if you had cows and you needed sheep, you gave some cows, you got some sheep. And then they invented something that, well, not everyone has cows. You need something that's a bit more of a general currency, and I can exchange that now for goods or services. You know, if you need a plumber, you pay him cash, you don't pay him in sheep, right? Um, And then once you've got some of that money, you then need to get your own goods and services. You need somewhere to live, you need to eat. Um, you need to do education, you need to pay for transport to get to work, and that's really what money is. I mean, if you simplify it to that extent, that's, that, it's a really transactional thing. But then why does it have such an emotional uh, attachment to us? It's, it's weird, right? I mean, it's just, it really is just something that you can barter, okay? So there are a couple of ways you can get this money. Um, you can get a job, um, and you will get paid some money to get that. Um, you can deliver services. Uh, we've got guys that train kite surfing here. Tyler, he trains somebody. They give him some money. They, he passes his skill on. He gets some cash, and then he can pay for other goods and services. Or maybe you've got some money, and you, in the, you invest it. And you invest it into a business. You invest it into some kind of a financial uh, tool, and it pays you some kind of interest, or, or you get dividends or something back if you bought shares. So that's the advanced stuff. You know, Most of us kind of hang around in the first two. Okay? Um, the problem is, in the world, money is the metric of success. So the more I have of this, the more successful I am. And if you go to business, if a business is not successful, it's not making money, and people lose their jobs and the business closes down, that's quite practical. But I think that success and what the money brings, money brings power and success, right? Um, And that's when... That's when things start to go wrong because now success is not, I mean, it's, me- it's tangible. You can measure it if you use the world standard of money. But success is an emotional thing, right? It's like, well, I'm actually a bit better than you because I'm successful, right? Um, and I have a better standing than you in society. Um, I have power over you uh, because success might lead me into somewhere where I can have command over people. Uh, again, power is also something that, 
appeals to our nature, right? I mean, who doesn't want to be powerful, right? Um, so here's the problem, you know, it's an, money is the enabler for this power and success, but yet the word tells us don't chase after these things. So now what? <laughs> We've got a problem. Because um, we have to live in the world. We have to coexist with this thing called money and power and success. So, you know, the Bible says money is the root of all evil, right? No, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. So money is not evil. You didn't have money right now, you'd be very hungry. Okay? So if love of money is the root of all evil, um, I've, I, I don't know anywhere that, that love doesn't apply other than to some kind of a relationship. So... And in relations, we get healthy relationships, you get unhealthy relationships. And if we love money too much, that's unhealthy. Um, so what I want to unpack now is how does this relationship with money um, manifest itself in our lives? Okay, um, Because I think we need to have a very healthy relationship with money. And a healthy relationship with money will allow us to serve the kingdom better with how we with how we live. So there's, there's two ways you can be serving the kingdom. You can be a, a positive contributor into the kingdom with your money, um, or you might just be quite passive. Like just because you're doing money well, you're not in trouble. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's different scales to how your relationship has, has taken you with this money. So there's a couple of things I want to talk about. Just back to what happens when the success measures of the world mix with the kingdom. This is an interesting one. So we end up with crazy doctrine in, in some way, you know. And this morning I want to talk a little bit about that because I've often heard people say things. And, and I'm a very much an accountable person. I take responsibility for my own actions. When someone says, you know, something like this, the first thing I do is I'm like, well, what did they do wrong? And, you know, what is their part in it? I'm not like, I'm not judgmental. I'm saying that nothing happens without two parties in this space, right? So... So the problem is, when the success measures of money come into the kingdom, um, sometimes you get into a place where wealth implies blessing from God. Let that sink in. So, not all the rich people out there have a blessing from God. If you're in church, and I'm wealthy, God's blessing him. Sure, God really blessed that guy, you know. Um, no. Because that would mean that someone who's not wealthy is not blessed by God, right? Even Jesus said there'll always be poor people. So just because you're saved doesn't mean you're wealthy or have money. You can manage money well and have money. Um, but I want to say that God has given people gifts. Some people have an amazing gift to make money. Amazing gifts. Um, but God also puts a massive responsibility on those people because what do we do with our gifts? If I've got a gift of prophecy, do I use it in the workplace or do I use it in the church? I use it here. Gift of healing, I use it here. If I have the amazing ability to make money, where do I sow that gift? I sow that gift back into the kingdom. So if you lose your money, you must be under attack from the devil, right? Success measures of the world in the kingdom. No, you swipe the card. The devil was like, oh, oh, get that card through the machine. Actually, you don't swipe it anymore. So you tap now, you tap. Okay. So Jesus himself says, you know, he's, there's a parable and there's a rich guy and he works his whole life, puts it all in a barn. I'm implying, and I'm going to use some poetic license, maybe he wasn't very generous, but he just stored up all this stuff in the barn, and he said, hey, you know what, that's great. But today, you're going to heaven. Good news, all that work you did, you're coming to heaven. So he says, what does it benefit that the man gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? So, the success measures of the world don't matter to God. He only is worried about your soul. So if you're poor or you're wealthy, he just wants your soul. What's more important to God? Money? Status? No, not at all. 
So when you separate that out of God's kingdom, money goes back into, it's a transaction. It's used for goods and services, and I use it for that space. The church has goods and services to pay too. That's why, okay? So in the kingdom, there's only one true currency, and that's time. God never says, go out, work hard, because the laborers are few and we need money. He says, the laborers are few. We haven't got enough time. Go out there. Get people saved. You have a finite amount of years here on the earth. A finite amount of years, first of all, to qualify yourself to get to heaven. The second is to serve in the kingdom and to bring the lost in. Now, that's the commission. That's what Jesus said to us. So eternity with Jesus is actually our currency. Money is the enabler so we can live and get through this thing and, and you know, be alive at the end, okay? On your deathbed, said by no one ever, I wish I had more money. <laughs> Doesn't happen. So here's two interesting quotes, and I found this actually quite profound, and I, I urge you to read the full one. Um, I'm going to read just two quotes. Steve Jobs. It's probably quite famous now, but I'll read it out word for word. I reached the pinnacle of success in the business world, in others' eyes. My life is the epitome of success. However, aside from work, I have little joy. In the end, my wealth is the only effect of life that I've become accustomed to. At, the, at this moment, lying on my bed and recalling my life, I realize that all the recognition and the wealth that I took so much pride in have paled and become meaningless in the face of my death. So someone got to the other side, all the stuff we're thriving for. He got to the other side, he got all the money, he realized like, actually that's not what I want. But yet we'll, we'll attach so much of our attention and our life and we'll ingrain it into our psyche to get more of that, but it's actually not worth it. And we should be at the advantage, by the way, to Steve Jobs. We're in the kingdom, right? Jim Carrey. I mean, he's a bit of a joker, but man, he can, be some, he can be serious. He says, I hope everyone could get rich and famous and get everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. So even the world is saying like, hey, like the, real, the guys that really get all, a lot of this say like, actually, that's not what you really need here. So I think we need to take a step back and say, this is a, this is a, this is a means and enabler to be transactional. And we need to learn how to get good governance over this. We need to be in relationship with this thing, and we need to have a very healthy relationship with it. And let me, I want to talk now quite practically about where, where this goes. Okay, and I think I've dropped my notes a little bit, but I'll, I'll maybe just say it again. So, so you could argue that should there be any wealthy people in the kingdom, you know, if that's the case, right? Because we shouldn't have to, I mean, if Kumbaya, we just all, you know, made the same amount of money and, you know, everyone was perfect here. Um, but I think God has a place for wealthy people in the kingdom. Um, I think God's given people gifts. I'm talking about a story. Who remembers that guy? What's his name? Uh, Joseph. So Joseph, always, we always talk about his Technicolor dream coat. We always talk about the fact that he was thrown into the well and then he was like sold a bit of a raw deal in Potiphar's house and he went to jail and he was, he was actually, uh, uh, he had dreams, right? And he could dream and he could interpret dreams. We always talk about that. No one ever talks about that he was probably the greatest businessman of all time. He ran Egypt, the most civilized society in its time. He was in charge of Egypt. Let that sink in. Do you think he knew about money? Do you think he knew about logistics? Do you think he knew about people management? He probably had an HR department. Um, he was certainly wealthy. And Joseph, through that wealthiness and that position that he was in, I think his heart was always pure, so I don't think he had an unhealthy relationship with that power because you can see how he, how he reconciled with his brothers. But God used Joseph to save the nation. There was a famine in the world, it was like the biggest famine they'd ever had. Seven years. They'd stored up enough grain because of the dream that, that Joseph had interpreted of Pharaoh's. They stored up enough food for seven years, fed the entire nation of Egypt and the surrounding nations. Remember, people came to buy food from Egypt. That's what, that's what the brothers were coming to do. And, and, and made Egypt an incredible amount of money because nations around were giving their riches to get food, to live and survive. That was Joseph. 
Do you think God has a place for wealthy people in the kingdom? I think yes. But did Joseph have an unhealthy relationship with power and success? No. So there's a place for money in God's kingdom too, right? Um, in case you haven't worked out, has anyone ever gone to the Kingdom of Heaven ATM and tried to draw some money out there? There's none there, right? I mean, there isn't an ATM. We're in the kingdom. We are the money. We have healthy relationship with money. And we grow the kingdom. That's what Joseph did. So here's a health check for you. Because um, first health check. We're going to do a couple of health checks through here. So if you cannot give money away, you may have an unhealthy relationship with it. It starts with 10 rand at the traffic light to the guy, 500 rand for someone's food bowl, 2,000 rand for a mission trip. Jenna. You've got a healthy relationship with money if, can, if you can let it through you. Okay? Um, in my own personal life, Cindy's the giver. <laughs> um, the Lord speaks to Cindy before she speaks to me. And uh, stuff leaves us. I don't make that sound recklessly. I want to make it sound like, like money flows through us. Um, and I'll give a good example. This is our, this is our favorite one. We use it everywhere. You've probably heard it before. Sorry. We, we had a lady in our church, and I can't remember at the time. She was, we didn't even know her really that well. Um, but she was in a really, really poor place. Um, and Cindy said, like, you know, the Lord spoke to me. She spoke to me first, obviously. And she spoke to me first and said, we must give our car to this lady, you know. And so I was like, okay, cool. Like, what's the, what's the deal here? So we spoke about it. And, you know, like, we said, okay, like, you know, if God's speaking to you, we're going to give this car away. So we gave the car to the lady. Um, she wasn't even in our church anymore. It was like, She'd gone. She'd like, it wasn't like she was in front of us saying, I need a car. It wasn't a great, great big, like, fancied-up appeal at the front, like, who's giving the car away? Oh, well. It was like two years later. We hadn't seen the lady. I must give the car. I remember the mechanic coming to say, listen, I'm here to fetch the car. Where is it? We were like, there it is. He's like, well, he was looking past it. Like, where's the car? That's the, the clapped-out broken one. Like, no, this was our car. It's like a family car, you know. Um, where's that gone? What's wrong with it? What I need to fix it? It's like, we're really sorry. The door doesn't quite close properly at times. You just got to push it up. He's like, no, man. Where's, like, what's wrong with it? There's nothing wrong with it. You can drive it. I, mean, I think you need a trailer or something to take it, you know. So we gave this lady the car. We played a rugby match with Jason last year, and we ran into this lady. And she has flourished. God did such an amazing thing in her life. I don't want to say it because of the car. But the point was that, that stuff needs to flow through us, okay? If you can't let it flow through you, whether it's five rand or 10,000 or 20,000 rand, you may have an unhealthy relationship with that because you're trying to keep it, okay? Um, interesting doctrinal thing that comes in. Sometimes you say, well, I will give to get, right? Because, you know, if I give, I'll get 10 times more from God, right? That's why I give. No. You always give without wanting to get back, but... There's another principle that if God entrusts you with small things, he entrusts you with larger things. If he's planning a million bucks to go to somewhere or a kingdom and you're not going to let it go, he can't let it flow through you. Because you need to satisfy your power and success and healthy relationship with money. So that's not going not to happen. Okay? So there's a first little health check. So we're going to go back to the basics again. So income. We make money, right? Um, and I think it's it's important that I'm going to start identifying some health checks now. We're going to some real basics. But it's very important to hear now what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. Because um, I'm going to say some things that it might sound like you told me this yesterday and now I'm picking on you. Because that's what conviction always is, right? It's like, wow, that's me, you know. Um, so as we proceed, I'd like you to think, well, hmm, that is... That is me, or maybe that's not me. Because the first part is like, maybe my relationship with money is healthy or unhealthy. But now, if your relationship with money is unhealthy, you may have some checks here. You know, oh, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe that's me. You know, um, the second thing is, when your relationship is unhealthy with money, 
because it's so unhealthy, you could be sinning. So when does that relationship with money actually turn to sin? Because just having an unhealthy relationship with money is not necessarily sin. I budget badly. That's, that's not a sin, right? Um, but I might do things that are a little bit dodgy one or two levels down, you know? So let's get started. So, so money, I'm going to go really back to the base. There's two types of money. There's real money and there's virtual money. Okay? Real money is the money you get in your bank when someone pays you. And you can draw it out, or it might be cash in hand. These days, more than likely, money in your bank, and we tap it out, right? Virtual money, that's the money that you can get from a bank or a person with a promise that one day you'll get some real money to give it back to them. Some of you may know that as credit, okay? The problem is, virtual money is invisible, and sometimes there's more virtual money than you visually work out you're taking to how much real money you've actually got. But that real money is always going to come back to pay that person because they want you. Virtual money is almost limitless because it's not real. And most banks will give you more money than your real money. Always. I haven't met a bank yet that's not willing to give me a lot more money than I've actually got. I've never had a problem saying, hey, man, like, I mean, I've actually on multiple times said, no, I, I want my, my card balances lower because a bank will give you lots of money. It's virtual, okay? And that stuff is like a bit of a slow poison. It builds up, builds up, builds up. And, and at some point, because it's virtual and we very seldom add it up and see it in front of us, there's a lot less real money to make that virtual money go away, Right? There's another interesting, so married people, married couples. Sometimes one couple goes to get some virtual money without telling the other person. Can you have you heard of that before? That's called financial adultery. You are cheating on your spouse if you do that. You are cheating on them because money, you're one person. You become one. It's your finances. You're both accountable for both. And when one person goes and fetches more without telling the other one, you might be doing a great job. Remember helping. We have a, a, a friend, actually we, we probably know about two or three situations where this has happened. And it almost, in, in all three cases, in one case it did, the other two, oh no, sorry, two cases, only one of them the marriage survived. The other two they got divorced because that was how distort they were about someone that had done something that behind their back. It's financial adultery. Okay? So virtual money, that, that's another interesting point. A pro tip, masterclass, bring your money into the same place if you're a married couple. So you both know, you're both on the same page. You've got to be aligned on your spend goals. You know, if you don't know what you're spending and the other person like, well, I thought we had a lot more. It's a big problem. You know what I mean? You've got, you're going to have conflict and fighting in your, in your marriage anyway because one person's on a different page. One person's spending five grand a month and you've only got one grand a month. That, yeah, like that, that's going to that's gonna hurt, right? So virtual money has its place. Sometimes we buy tangible things like a car or a house, but those are big purchases and you don't decide on those often. Um, and you can in some way control well, how much virtual money you're going to spend to how much real money you've got, and that's called budgeting. So you say, if I can afford to buy a car for X, I have 2,000 rand a month. What can I buy that way to 2,000? Because I haven't got more than 2,000, then it's okay. You're going to need to get it to work. You need to buy a house. Um, you know, the, the, those, in those cases, you do a really coordinated planned effort. The virtual money that is the most dangerous is the stuff I'm transacting with every day because that's the one that, that, that hides, okay? So the problem is obviously when our, our needs and wants, because we may have an unhealthy relationship with this thing called money, is bigger than what we actually have, um, and then we get into trouble. And maybe it might be success. It might be I need to show people that I'm okay, um, that I'm a successful, and I'm going to use that in some way, and you end up in a situation where there's more virtual than real. Uh, and then you're generally in trouble. I mean, you, there's, there's, no, there's, no, 
other nice way to say that, you're in trouble. Okay? The good news is you can fix it. Because there's only two ways you can fix it. Right? Earn more or spend less. If you remember anything from this morning, remember this. Either you earn more or you spend less. It's easier to spend less than to earn more. Second principle, because you can spend less now and now and now. Earn more is a little bit harder. Take some effort. Okay. So let's talk about how you can potentially earn more. Get a job if you don't have one. I mean, that, that's always a good start. Sometimes you get a second job. I've done that. Um, I got myself into a place where there was a lot more virtual money than real money. Um, when I turned 21 and my parents no longer needed to manage me in any way and I could get plastic cards, Cape Union Mart, Woolworths, Sportsman's Warehouse. I had them all. Did I have more? I think I had those. And for a short period of time... I really lived well. It was amazing. I got all the things that I've always wanted. Um, along with it came uh, monthly statements. And at some point, I worked out actually by the first of the month, when I'd given all my real money over to all of these statements, um, there were another 30 long days. Okay, So I got a second job. Worked as a barman, never drank in my life. I had to learn all of the drinks. I'd, I didn't even know what a Clippies and Cola was. Um, I learned as a Christian. I went worked at the bar. I worked for six months, six to eight months. Paid off one card, cut it up. Paid off another card, cut it up. Um, so second jobs are okay if you're in trouble. Perform well. Get promoted in, at work. Okay, nothing wrong with promotion. Do your best. Um, maybe educate yourself. Um, Education and learning always makes you more valuable in the workplace and you're likely to progress and, and get promoted. Don't get fired. That's always a good start. Due to non-performance, be a good employee at work and do everything as honoring to the Lord. That's always been my approach to, to work is I will honor my, my, my boss. I will work hard for him. He will never have any doubt that Michael is a Christian and say, well, you, you know, you call yourself a Christian, but look how you act and behave here at work. So do everything as honoring to the Lord. So that's the harder part. I mean, that, that, that's quite a bit of work, and, and generally it's slower. You know, that takes time to, to build that. And, it, you know, you, each step is a building block. You know, you don't just get promoted, right? You educate, get promoted, you're successful, you work hard. And, and your, your income grows, okay? We're going to go back to spiritual stuff soon. Then the second one is only spend what you have. So spend less, only spend what you have, okay? That is the real money. Don't spend what you have in virtual money because the bank will give you some of that stuff. So in my experience, this is the most control that you have. You have control over this. You have control over it. In terms of some pro tips, focus on the big numbers, 80-20 principle. Who knows what the 80-20 principle is? It's Pareto, eh? So 80% of the problem, uh, sorry, 20% of the, the size of this thing is probably 80% of the problem. Okay? Let me help you out here. I saw Brennan looking at this guy. The big money, accommodation. Rent, bond, could be either. Your car. Your education that you pay for children. And then probably food coming down in like fourth. Those are the big numbers in that budget. That'll be 80% of the money, you know, or is, is, is going to be what you're going to focus on. Okay? Um, so rent, bond, are you extended beyond what you can afford? You know, if you can only afford this place... Don't live there. Live here. The problem here is often where you live starts to speak to that power and success, right? Because then people will see, well, 
I don't live on the beachfront. I live one block back, you know. I'm going to use a lot of examples. If you live on the beachfront, we're not after you guys, you know what I mean? So, so these are principles. Remember, hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying, okay? Your car. Jesus walked everywhere, guys. I'm just kidding. Um, you know, so, so, I mean, in our own world, our boys decided that they want to go to a school um, in Milneton. We said to them, sure, that's a, it's a big commitment because, you know, if you just calculate just the fuel to get to Mil- Milneton and back is quite significant. And then the time, you know, to get there, you know, are you guys open to catching the My City to school? They were, yes, I mean, I want to go to that school. That was a, a, not only a financial decision that we made, but also a very practical decision, you know, to get through the Milneton traffic. Yes, we fetched them off the rugby. We did things. We still drove to the school. But there was a learning that they could get out of that, that actually I'll catch the bus. You know, it only costs 22 rand a day to get to school. You know, um, you can make decisions like that, guys. You're in charge of this. There is no board or committee that you, that you report to and someone says, mm, I don't think you should save that money. never happened to me education can you put a price on education yes yes you can this is an interesting one this normally hurts a little bit um we and to start to qualify we have a very different view on education um but the dangers of education in our world today and think about that unhealthy relationship we have with power and success if you open with my children go to the school when you introduce somebody, or in, in casual conversation, you bring that in as quick as possible. You may just have a problem with the status that that, that school gives you. Um, I went to the school. Um, my kids are at the school, um, and it's, it's it's a touchy subject. I I I fully agree. However, if you can't afford that school but your kids are at that school and you have a bond and a second job and a, and a to, to live in that space. And I'll tell you a story now about that. You may just have a problem with what that gets you, you know, like, yeah, that unhealthy relationship with that power and success. Um, we, we, we once um, counseled a couple and they had, I'm protecting names and faces, but they're not in this church anyway. They had their children at a very, very expensive school. I'm talking like the fees were, like if you to put your kids into varsity, you would save money. Okay? So that's, that's, that's the kind of money we're talking about. Annual fees, less than UCT. Okay? And they were in so much financial trouble, but the kids were at that school. And we were like, guys, do you know that you live 500 meters from this Van Strand school here, that, that uh, government school? just down the road. And the school fees a year are 12,000 rand. At the time, it was probably around that, maybe less. 12,000 rand a year. Ten times less than what they were paying. Ten times. But they were taking out bonds to pay that off. And they had a very unhealthy relationship with the status that that school got them. And uh, they got to a place where actually there was no choice other than to get into a healthy relationship with Van Strand. Um, and they tell us today, we actually saw them about two weeks ago, so they will work out who I'm talking about now. They, they moved to Belgium subsequently. But they, they today tell us that was the single best thing they ever did. Because not only did they, real, did they save themselves financially, but secondly, their children were actually not even happy there because of the status. And then, of course, you know, when you're in a very affluent, wealthy school, people have wealthy kids there and wealthy more stuff. And they, they felt inadequate because they didn't have the wealthy stuff. And then they came here and they fitted in with the rest of us. <laughs> My kids were at the school too. <laughs> and their children got better. But the unhealthy relationship with that educational system was, was terrible. They would go to the fancy parties and the brides and the, you know, and we and we hobnobbed with those acts. But that was meaningless. 
So education doesn't raise a well-balanced, God-fearing child. You do. We do. In church. Food. Don't go there. This is not like, like, I'm not introducing any new concepts. I'm just making the comparison to like, ooh, maybe I actually am not making good decisions here, you know. And I'm not saying that we're perfect. Um, we're only good at money because Cindy is. So, you know, we've got to eat healthy. We've got to survive. There are people, not in this room, that live on significantly less to us and are alive. That's all I'm going to say. We can, we can certainly save money in that space. Okay? So, managing your finances is a discipline that I think God wants us to be faithful in. If we are to be the light of the world, and we can't manage our finances, no matter how much you pray for someone that's hungry, they're still going to be hungry when you're done. I know you might be good, but they're still hungry. You've got to give them some food. And you use money to exchange things for goods and services. So sometimes um, our relationship money drives behavior to such an extent that you're no longer able to apply that gift in the kingdom. So you've gotten yourself into such a space that you actually, you can pray, but there really is, and you're getting virtual money to even give someone a loaf of bread. But now there's two where there's, there's still two conundrums there. Well, there's two, there's two things. Sometimes you can't, sometimes you won't give, right? You know, and that, they both relate to being sort of unhealthy relationship with that money. You can't because you're broke, um, and you can't because you won't. I don't want to let it go, you know? Um, and we, we spoke about that earlier. So when does this become sin? Um, and I think there's... Let's take a, a side step now because, you know, can't and won't, those are grayer, you know, like, but uh, when does it become sin? I mean, obviously, if God asks you to do something and you don't do it, that, that's sin, right? And that's the fundamental of sin. Don't do that, do it, we sin. Adam, don't do that, he did it, first sin, okay? Um, so there's two principles here. Are you faithful with what you've been given? Because let's... Let's say we're in the kingdom. God has given us all these gifts and abilities to even earn some kind of income in the first place. How faithful are you with that? I mean, there's parables around talents and, you know, you're faithful with that gift and I give it into the kingdom. There was a faithful and unfaithful servant. All the principles are here and they apply, okay? And then do you honor God with what you have? If you had to take your finance and say, God, is this honoring you? You know, how am I using this? Am I using this in a way that honors you? Um, you know, let God measure, measure you that way. And I'll, I'll give you some examples. Don't think you'll get off the hook on that one. So first of all, are you wasting what you've been given? You know, that unhealthy relationship means you might waste this thing. You know, um, you're spending what you don't have. I mean, certainly not being faithful. You, you, you know, you, you're in that space. That's the virtual money stuff. Um, are we tithing and giving to those in need? Are you honoring, are you, are you faithful with that? And this is an interesting one. Are you grateful for what you've been given? You know, sometimes they're like, oh, I only earn this, you know, and that other person, they earn so much more. It's so unfair, you know, that person earns more than me. It sounds very victim, Right? But there's something deeper in that. When you always want more, that's an unhealthy relationship with that. So when you are saying that's it's unfair, like, you know, that person has always got so much more than me. Do you want to be in that place? Are you chasing after that? Are you striving for that? Um, you know, because this is Ten Commandment territory. Eh? This is like don't covet another man's wife, 
what was the other one? The, you know, so you, you actually are, you're starting to go gray area here. Like, why is that? I want more. I, you know, I've got to drive this car and that person drives that car. I need to, I need to be that person. There's a behavior in there that's unhealthy. So measure yourselves as you listen to this. Like, hey, is that behavior unhealthy? The good thing is you can change this, eh? This is so easy. It's not, it's not a hard thing we're asking you to do. It may feel hard because emotions are always hard, but facts are super easy. Healthy, unhealthy. Are you honoring God with what you've been given? So when we transact with this money, we're buying goods, services, um, I'm earning money, I'm doing business. Am I honoring God? Remember, you're a Christian, eh? You're in the kingdom. These are some behaviors that you shouldn't have. Okay. If there was any doubt, this is what you mustn't do. Okay. So you find money on the ground, someone's wallet. You may know them, you may know, not know them. Do you just pocket it or do you, hey man, guys, I found some money. Does, does this belong to anybody? Why do you keep it? Well, I want it. I want KFC. <laughs> it's just enough for a Streetwise 5. I mean, that's, that's interesting. Uh, Russell gave an example. You know, someone gives you the wrong change. Small, man. It's two bucks. Guys, sorry, man. Waiter, you haven't included this on the bill. You, you, we need to pay you for that. That's, that's honoring God with that money that you've been given. Lord, bless me in my finances. Check, they never billed us for, this, for the toasted army. Score. Do you find ways to not declare income so you don't have to pay SARS? That's called stealing, if you were worried. You find ways to claim on insurance or falsify insurance claim. I remember years ago, I took my car in for insurance and I'd had someone bash this side of it. And then they said, well, we can fix that for you as well. And we won't, you know, it'll just be part of the deal. And we put it to the insurance claim. I was like, whoa, do the whole car. What are you talking about? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I said, no, man, that's not part of the, the deal, yeah? Nowadays, I don't know if you've ever had an accident. Like, Discovery has, like, got these people. Like, you go and assess, and they show me the damage. And they're like, well, how did that side get damaged? You know, like, they're making sure the tires are good. And, you know, like, but it can't happen. But, you know, there were times that you could hey, man, just do a general touch-up and, you know, it's all insurance, but I pay insurance every month. I mean, you know how much I paid them this year already? You know what I mean? Some people falsify insurance claims. You loan money, you don't pay it back. How about downloading movies that you never paid for? Welcome to the kingdom, people. Welcome to the kingdom. My first experience of that was a long time ago. There were things called M3Ps, MP3s. I do that on purpose just to make sure that people... And I had, man, I had a CD that had like the, basically since God invented worship to that time, MP3s. And I just had all the worship mood in the world. And I was a worship leader and I, and I needed all this stuff because I needed a database of good songs. And God was like, you are stealing from me, son. I was like, okay, Lord. I have to buy these things now. <laughs> Hillsong, buy the CD, put in your CD player. It's a different world now. You can, you know, you can get Apple Music and these things, which you can pay for, but there are still services today that you can get movies, music, and you never paid for it. Um, DSTV, that's a famous one. Seven accounts, one payment. Um, or I, I find a subscription service that costs me 27 rand, and you get the full package. I always say, listen, phone DSTV and ask him if that's okay. You know what I mean? Let's see what they say, and then, then, you, then you can do what you want with that, right? Welcome to the kingdom, folks. If you're not living in a life honoring God, you can't say, God, bless my finances, um, and wrap up the prayer, switch on DSTV that you never paid for. Okay? Traffic fines. You did the crime. You've got to do the payment. I'm not paying the government. They don't maintain my roads. God's like, you're so right. I've been actually saying the same thing the whole time. God doesn't say that, does he? The last time I checked, God doesn't really have like a, oh, that's like a micro sin. This is a minor sin. This is a major sin. 
Right? There's a, like a kind of like a sin category there, you know. We need to live a life above reproach. No such thing as a micro sin. Because here's the thing. If you can't be trusted with worldly wealth and the way you manage it, how can you manage true riches? This is a test. Money is a test. And, and, and this test is not so you can get more money. This is so you can get more in the kingdom. It's not about money. I'm going to be good. I'll get more money. I'll give some of it away. Most of it. Okay, keep 10% of one billion is a lot. You know what I mean? I'll keep it. No. Remember that, remember that first thing back to where the worldly system in the kingdom of heaven principles doesn't work that way. We don't, we don't design, do things to get more money. Getting born again is not going to make you wealthy. You might just be wealthy because you're really good at it and God's given you that gift. So our ability to control money harnesses some key characteristics in our lives so that we can inherit the true riches of the kingdom. Greed. You know, money is going to test whether you're greedy or not. Okay? Honesty. Money is going to test if you're honest. Faithfulness. Money is going to test if you're faithful. Self-control. Money is going to test that. Self-restraint. Generosity. There's probably a longer list. It's a test. Money is a test. So if you can't exercise this restraint in finance, you can't survive with greater things. You can't. If you're dishonest, you can't survive. You know, because dishonesty has tentacles. You lie, you steal, you know, things go further than just that. So can you see how easily an unhealthy relationship with money can poison your soul? So that's where that relationship starts to have tentacles into our soul. And that's where it becomes sin. So purpose. So now that you've gotten all of this right and you have a very healthy relationship with money and you've sorted all these other things out, paid for your music, it's still a funny joke. I mean, we were, when we, when I remember we, we, we grew up in church like late 80s, mid 80s. And there was like a movement that you burnt all your music, all your dodgy music. You know, Eric Clapton, yes, I set fire to that. It burnt all the purple flames. It was the devil coming out. And then, and then oh, later we realized actually, that's like, I mean, yes, Eric Clapton's bad. But like, you know, burning was a bit dramatic. I had to buy a whole lot of my good music back again. Um, because I... That was a recording anyway, so it was hard to burn. Um, right, so purpose. I, I distract myself. So we're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus, right? We've got a healthy relationship with this thing we call money. Um, we are equipped to do it. We're ready to do it. We can give it away because we, 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 we've done it well. And we will give it away because we are, have a healthy relationship. So let's get the easy ones out the way. Hands and feet of Jesus. Serve in the local church. Tick. Come stood up. You guys packed out the chairs. Lovely. Speak to the lost. Tick. You know, coffee shop. Meet someone. Get them saved. Pray for the lost. Easy peasy. Take care of the elderly. A little bit harder. You've got to put some time in. But you're being the hands and feet of Jesus. Now for the difficult ones. Feed the poor with your money. Getting a little bit harder. Not so hard because you can give to the pantry 200 bucks. You know, um, help the people in need with your money. So now you hear of someone that's actually in trouble. The virtual stuff got out of hand. You help them out. Fund the work of the kingdom. Send Jenna back to Brazil. Not that we don't like you, but, you know, I mean, last year we sent people to Russia, Philippines, Brazil. Um, You are being the hands and feet of Jesus. You are in a healthy space to do this. You're not taking out virtual money to send people to, to Brazil. You, you've done this well, right? So how are you going to do this if you're not faithful with the 90% key principle here? How are you going to do this if you're not honoring God with this? You know, can you see how this all hangs in tension? You know? So you're going to get yourself into this healthy space so that you become 
purposeful in the kingdom with your finances. Um, it's a lovely place to be in. I've got to tell you, it takes hard work. But to be able to sow into the kingdom is incredibly rewarding. You know, you come back, someone gives a testimony, and you're like, hey, man, I was part of that, you know. So this is not like a, a sermon that we're probably going to do a response and come and tell me about that music that you were downloading at the front. Um, this is reflection time for us, I think. Um, this is a, a good time of the year. People are thinking like, sure, but I've got to get some things on track here. Um, you may have some compounding evidence in your bank account that it didn't go well um, over December. <laughs> so the questions you need to ask yourself is, how is my relationship with money? That's the start. Are there things that are driving me to spend more, to get more, to look better, to do things like that? Okay. Can, it, can I let go of it easily? Easy health check, you know. Am I sinning when I transact in this medium called money? Because that's not, that's not hard stuff to fix. Just stop doing that, right? Um, that's kind of like the sin stuff. I think in the, in the relationship with the money, it's going to drive you to sin. In how you transact with it, it's going to drive you into sinful places, which I think you need to, you need to solve that. That's fundamental, right? As, it, it is as bad as any other sin you have in your life, just for clarity. It's not a micro sin, you know? And then there's some practical stuff, you know, because, you know, you, we always say, like, what, are, what am I going to stop and what am I going to start? Two things. Am I going to stop living beyond my means, chasing the things that I can't afford? I mean, that's, that's how you deal with an unhealthy relationship. I mean, that's, that is the, that's how it's going to manifest itself if you have an, an unhealthy relationship with that. And what are you going to start? Well, there's some real practical things here. Remember, you're in control of this. Budgeting to control my expenses. Find a job if you haven't got one. All those other points that, that I spoke to. And improve yourself if you need to. Get an education. Do something that's going to improve yourself. There's nothing wrong with you improving yourself and you become a functioning person in the kingdom of heaven in terms of how you can fund that. Don't, make, don't want to make that a taboo just because, oh, he's studying a degree because he has an unhealthy relationship with money. It's hard work to study a degree. There's a much easier way to get into a healthy relationship with money. Okay? Some of us study for seven years. Liam? <laughs> to be a doctor. Right. And that, folks, is the end. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time.